Nacho Libre is a, some of you know already, I can tell by your little chuckles. I just had to say Nacho Libre and some of you chuckled. Nacho Libre is a 2006 comedy starring the very funny actor Jack Black. Maybe you've seen it. Sounds like some of you have. It's one of my favorites. It's just a silly movie, but I love it. In the movie, Jack Black plays a character named Ignacio who works a day job as a cook for a monastery orphanage. But Ignacio dreams of being a luchador, a pro lucha libre wrestler. The problem, though, is that pro wrestling is forbidden by the monastery, forbidden by the church. It's considered a sin. And the monastery that Ignacio works at is so poor that Ignacio struggles to provide good nutritional food for the orphans that he loves so much. And so to solve this problem, he decides to ignore the monastery's rules about pro wrestling being a sin And he starts to moonlight as a wrestler. Ignacio's plan is to become a luchador wrestler. They wear the masks in the lucha libre wrestling. He wants to become a wrestler named Nacho so that he can win money and thus provide good food for the orphans. After a few matches, his tag team partner makes him a new updated wrestling outfit and Nacho tries it on for the first time. So he puts on his wrestling tights and his boots and then he throws his new cape over his shoulders and he's about to put his mask on when he notices that a little orphan boy named Chancho is standing in the hallway and sees him. And so Ignacio's secret identity as Nacho, the luchador wrestler, is now out. Now, Chancho knows who he is. He's been exposed. But not panicking, Nacho tells the little boy in a very famous scene, if you know the movie, you know what's coming, he says these words. After he sees Chancho, he turns away and he says, Chancho. He gulps, when you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants. In your room, it's for fun. And Chancho reassures him, don't worry, I won't tell nobody. That's what Paul will talk about today, sort of. I may be stretching it with the opening illustration, pun intended, but as disciples, we are called to have stretchy hearts, hearts that expand with the gospel. Nacho's heart stretched so that he became a pro wrestler who wore stretchy pants so that he could provide for the little orphans that he loved. Nacho enabled or uh, embodied Galatians 5, 6, which says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And so, in one sense, the gospel wears stretchy pants or stretchy hearts. That's what the gospel does. It expands our hearts. It stretches our hearts. And what we'll see today is this. Gospel doctrine creates stretchy hearts. 
When we stuff gospel doctrine, when we stuff gospel truth, when we stuff gospel promises into our hearts, it widens our hearts. It stretches our hearts. Our hearts become like stretchy pants. But because we are sinners, we often have relationally restricted hearts, tight hearts, where we close our hearts off to people, to the people who bother us, the people we can't get along with, the people who have wronged us. And so because we are sinners, what we often do is restrict or limit our affections. We, we close ourselves off to people. We shut down our hearts and we get all Christmassy all of a sudden. And we say to others, there's no room for you in the inn. There's no room for you in my heart. But when we stuff the gospel, the good news... God's love for us in Christ. When we stuff it down into our hearts, the gospel has a way of making more room in there. It gives us these stretchy hearts. We get stuffed and and we feel full of the gospel, but we strangely have room in our hearts as well. More room for others. Even the people that have offended us, even the people that have wronged us, even the people that we just flat out don't like. That's what our passage is about today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're actually going to rewind a bit to chapter 6, and then we're going to fast forward a little bit back to chapter 7. But first, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You were not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now jump down to chapter 7, beginning in verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. And so we've come to the end of this theology sandwich that Paul has made that we've been looking at over the past four or five weeks. We're now on the very bottom part. You see how they parallel the two A parts go together, the two B parts, and the middle part was the gospel. So we've come to the end of this sandwich And we see that Paul has returned to this heart imagery. Notice where he left off in 6.13 by asking the Corinthians to make room that he is in their hearts. And now he's asking them in chapter 7, verse 2, to make room in your hearts for us. And now in chapter 7, verse 3, he says, you are in our hearts. He tells them again. So Paul is bookending this do not be unequally yoked passage with this heart imagery. We saw last week that Paul called on the church to bring holiness to completion. And one of the ways that they can bring holiness to completion is by stuffing the gospel, stuffing gospel promises into their hearts, and then that would cause their hearts to stretch and be able to make room in their hearts for Paul. 
Yes, you may have a footnote in your Bible about verse 2 that says the Greek lacks the phrase in your hearts. That's true. In verse 2, the Greek text, the original text, does lack the phrase in your hearts. But the English translators add this phrase because it is implied. They're trying to show us that the same idea is here. Paul just says simply, make room for us in Greek, but he's implying, make room in your hearts for us. He's asking them to quit withholding their affections, to quit giving him the cold shoulder, to quit avoiding him. The Corinthians were the ones who were withholding their affections. They were withholding how they felt about Paul. They were listening to the gossip and slander and lies of the super apostles. And many in the church had changed how they felt about Paul. And so they began to pull back on the relationship. And that can happen in the church. And that can happen in relationships, can it? I mean, think about how easy it is to hear something about someone and have no evidence no first-hand experience, and then make a judgment call about someone. You can hear what people say about someone else and take that as fact and then turn around and close your heart off to the other person. And that's what we want to avoid. Understand this, Grace. A heart that is full of the love of Christ will expand and widen. It will stretch. But a heart that is full of suspicions and a heart that is full of assumptions will close and begin to shrink. And when your heart is full of suspicions and assumptions and it begins to shrink, it then becomes a breeding ground for assuming people's motives and keeping them at a distance and giving them the cold shoulder and then avoiding them and then ultimately shunning them. The Corinthians were doing this with Paul. They were the ones who became suspicious of Paul. They began entertaining lies and gossip about Paul and his motives. And so they allowed all of their suspicions and all of their lies that they had entertained to form this new opinion of Paul. That's why Paul says in verse 2 that he's wronged no one. He's corrupted no one. He's taken advantage of no one. When Paul says these three things... He's responding to their criticism and what he's been hearing that they have been saying about him. They are the ones who have it all wrong. They have rehearsed the lies of the super apostles in their hearts. They have entertained gossip and slander about Paul and company. They have rehearsed and are nursing wounds And all of this has caused this infection to spread in their hearts and caused them to tighten their hearts to Paul and company. And we do this really well, don't we? We assume people's motives or we assume things about people or we hear something about some person and we take it as gospel truth. We stuff it into our heart as gospel truth and it may not even be true. And then we treat them differently based on something that may not even be true. 
Holy Spirit, help us. We need you. Listen, it's Pentecost Sunday on the church calendar. This is a great day to cry out to the Holy Spirit and say, don't let me do this in my relationships with all the people in my life. Don't let me do this. I need you, Holy Spirit, because we just do this, don't we? We're not good at relationships sometimes. It's so much easier to talk about someone or about some situation and go off of hearsay rather than go to the person directly. That's what happened with Paul. That's why Paul says what he says in verse 2. He's replying to the rumors that are circulating about him and his ministry friends. But notice too here that Paul is not cynical. Even though this is all happening, Paul's not cynical. He could be. But he has not withheld his affections for this church that's treating him this way. Paul knows that cynicism and assuming things and misinformation can kill a church and kill relationships. Let's not be like the Corinthians in this regard, okay? Let's give the benefit of the doubt to one another. Let's assume the best of one another. And let's trust that God is sovereign and that he's working in our lives for his glory. And let's follow Paul's lead here. Let's be a church that doesn't assume that we know what's going on inside a person's heart. Why they do what they do or don't do what they do. By God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's do our best not to assume what is happening inside someone else's heart. We've talked about this before in this series, but it bears repeating because number one, we all struggle with this, don't we? And number two, the health of our church is at stake. We have a good thing going here at Grace. We don't want to mess this up. We need the Holy Spirit. It's a good day on Pentecost Sunday to be reminded, man, as individuals and as a church, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we're not just on the battlefield. We're actually behind enemy lines on the Central Coast. Okay? This is one of the hardest, darkest places in America. Okay, we're not just on the battlefield out there. We're behind enemy lines. We don't want to mess this up. We want to make a difference in our community. But if we crumble on the inside, we'll never be able to do that. So let me remind you that it is dangerous to feed the monster of assumption. Don't do it. If you feed the monster of assumption, it will grow and grow and grow and eventually consume you and devour you. And if you start down that path, it will sour your relationships. And it will sour a church family. And that's exactly what happened at Corinth. The Corinthians were having conversations with the super apostles. And they began assuming what Paul's motives were. They began questioning his heart. In fact, they thought they knew exactly what was happening in Paul's heart. And if we follow the Corinthians and we begin to believe that we know what is happening in other people's hearts, then we're going to start having these monologues and these conversations in our own hearts where we convince ourselves that we are right, and then we will begin to act on that information. We will begin treating people based on, one, what we may have heard about them that may not be true at all, and number two, we will begin thinking that we know what is going on in their heart as if 
we have the ability to see what's going on in their heart. And living that way will destroy every relationship that we have because we're always assuming that we know what other people are thinking. Listen, we actually have to fight from becoming cynical. And the gospel of God's love for you in Christ is the only thing that will keep you from becoming cynical and critical of other people. So be careful listening to bitter, critical, cynical people. They can poison you and then turn you into them. And that's what happened at Corinth. Let's look at verse 2 again. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Clearly, the Apostle Paul is committed to this church that he has planted. This church is in his heart. He will die for them. He says, I actually live for you. I want the best for you. He's not out to condemn them. He's not out to shame them. Yes, they have turned on him, but he still loves them. He still loved this church. They were pushing him away. Some in the congregation had stabbed him in the back. Some had betrayed him. Some were spreading lies and rumors about him. And Paul still loved them. Wow. And even though Paul brings up the accusations and the rumors that are spreading about him, even though he responds to them and gives a defense, he tells the Corinthians here, he does not bring this up. He does not say these things to condemn them. He doesn't want them to feel bad. Look at how caring Paul is. These people are dragging his name through the mud, and he doesn't unload on them. He doesn't give them a piece of his apostolic mind. And Paul says he hasn't done any of these things. And when he defends himself here, he's not doing it to make them feel bad or heap shame on them. He doesn't want them to feel condemned. He wants them to feel loved by him and loved by Jesus. He's just simply answering the critics here and telling the church that all the things that they have been hearing about Paul and his friends are not true. But, and this is where we see Paul's heart, really. He doesn't rub their face in it. He's very gracious here. I wonder where he learned that. Answer, the gospel. Because God doesn't rub our face in our sin, does he? And so we shouldn't do that to others. God doesn't condemn us, so we shouldn't condemn other people. God doesn't keep reminding us of our failures, so we shouldn't do that to other people. We want to preach the gospel, the good news to one another in community, knowing that in reality, we're a family, aren't we? So let's be a church where no shame is allowed, no Guilt trips, no cold shoulders, no how could yous. No how could yous, but instead a whole lot of how could he? How could Jesus be so good to us when we treat each other the way we treat each other? And so Paul goes on to tell them, you think you know what's in my heart? He says, you're in my heart. You are in my heart. He really loves and cares for them. He's not rehearsing wounds in his heart. 
He's loving them in his heart. And yes, he has every right to be hurt. He has every right to cut off the relationship, keep them at arm's length. But instead, he seeks them out because this is what God does for us in Christ. When we give him the cold shoulder, he still seeks us out. And so Paul says, I'll live with you and I'll live for you. I'll die for you. I'll lay my life down for your good. You're in my heart. I love you guys. How can Paul be like this? Because this isn't typically how we act, react to situations like this, is it? When someone treats us this way, we don't respond this way and say, man, you're in my heart. They're like, you know what? You're on my no-call list. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to look at you. How can Paul be so long-suffering with this church? Because gospel doctrine creates stretchy hearts. All the promises that Paul spelled out in chapter 6 that we looked at, he has stuffed those promises down into his own heart, and that gospel stuffing has caused his heart to grow and widen and to become stretchy, thus making room for the Corinthians in there. And when our hearts get filled up with the gospel, then it actually makes room in our hearts for other people, even other people that we don't like. And it seems counterintuitive to some degree, but when you stuff the gospel in your heart and you get stuffed and bloated with good news, it actually makes your heart stretch and it creates more space in your heart for others, even people who are being difficult. Here's what it looks like from Ephesians 4, if you want to kind of see a practical example from Scripture. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so how do you forgive people? How do you put away bitterness How do you put away slander? You rehearse how kind and forgiving God in Christ has been to you. You stuff God's forgiveness down into your heart until it stretches and you become kind and tenderhearted and forgiving of others. That's what we're shooting for here at Grace. We want to be a church that is kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another. Because God in Christ has forgiven us. We want to be a church where our doctrine, our theology, what we believe here, we want to be a church where that gets down into all the little nooks and crannies of our hearts and then stretches them out so that we can make room for one another. We don't want to just have Right doctrine. That's what some churches are shooting for. Just they only want right doctrine. We just want to be right in our theology. We don't want to just have right doctrine, but be an unhealthy church. And that happens in many churches. They believe all the right things, but the culture of the church is toxic. Man, I saw a clip yesterday. I'm going off manuscript, so uh, hold on where this one guy was preaching, and I'm sure they have right doctrine and right beliefs, but he was saying 
to his church that little girls should be making their brothers beds in the morning so that they can grow up and be a housekeeper and a submissive wife and going on this little tirade about how we should be training our little girls to do everything around the house for their brothers so their brothers can what, just sit around and play Xbox? I don't know. My point in saying is that is they have, they're right in their doctrine, but the culture of that church, I'm sure, is oppressive and very male chauvinistic. We don't want to be a church that just has everything right in what we say, but the culture is unhealthy. Ray Ortland, who has been very helpful to the church here, he's the guy who's just really helping shape churches through his little book called The Gospel that talks about this. Um, he's, he's pointed this out better than anyone in the last five or six years. He says this, the secret to a healthy Life-giving church is not doctrine alone, vital as doctrine is. But when faithful doctrine is met with humble honesty, then amazing things start happening in any church. But refusing to face ourselves, no amount of good doctrine can make that work. He's not saying that doctrine is not important. It is. It's very important. Listen, we value our statement of faith here. We value our theology, our doctrine. It is very important to us. But you can be a church that has all the right doctrine, but not be honest and not be real and not be loving. And that kind of church, even though its doctrine may be correct, that kind of church won't make much of a difference in this world because you need more than just doctrine. You need community, you need honesty, you need transparency, you need faithful doctrine and humble honesty. Tell me, do you want to be in a church where the doctrine is right, but everybody's mean and grumpy and cold-hearted and ugly? Nobody wants that. And you know what? There are churches like that. You can find them. You can read their statement of faith and it's like, man, these guys are right on. You walk into that church and Man, everybody's grumpy, nobody measures up, there's no grace, there's no joy, there's no freedom, but their doctrine's right. There are churches like that. And so a beautiful church that makes a difference in this world values doctrine and beliefs and theology, but they also value the fruit of the Spirit. They also value transparency. They value walking in the light and they do whatever it takes to prevent gossip and slander and backbiting from infecting the church. Now, we know this here at Grace, but we need the reminder from 2 Corinthians 7. We need to be reminded that gossip and slander and backbiting will kill a church. Not going to a person that you have an issue with, but talking to someone else about them, that kills churches. And so if you want to put a church, you want to put any relationship, whatever it is, if you want to put any church or relationship in the graveyard, that's how you do it. You go talk to somebody else about someone instead of going to that someone to talk to them. False doctrine usually doesn't kill gospel-centered, Christ-centered, Bible-centered churches. False doctrine usually doesn't kill a gospel-centered church. Because they protect their doctrine. You know what does? 
kill churches like that? Gossip and slander and complaining and not being unified. Paul says in Galatians 5 that when we lose our focus on the gospel, then we actually start biting each other and we eventually devour one another. And so after Galatians 5, 6, where he says the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love, he then goes on in chapter 5, verse 15, to talk about how we bite and devour one another. We become zombies, if you will. I mean, think about it. What do kids do when they have an issue with their brother or sister? They hit, they bite, they scratch, they punch, they pull hair, and sometimes they just bite because that's the only effective weapon that they have, especially when they're like two years old, right? They have no other defense mechanism, but they can bite. Think about this for a second. What if we walked in here next week and we just bit one another? Like Paul's talking about in Galatians 5. It's like, if you lose sight of the gospel and you don't love one another, you're just going to turn and bite and devour one another. What if we walked in here next week and we bit all the people that we have issues with? Hmm. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You might have somebody come up and bite you and be like, what? Bro, come on. Sorry, I don't like you. Had to bite you. (laughs) What if we came to church next week and just kind of bit every person that we didn't like? But we do do that, don't we? We don't do it literally, but we can do that, can't we? That's what the Corinthians were doing, biting Paul and his ministry friends. I don't want that for us. I want the gospel that we believe on paper, that God loves sinners like us who bite and devour one another sometimes. I want that to shape our culture here. I want that good news to infect our hearts and begin stretching our hearts. And so what does that kind of gospel culture look like in a church? What does it look like when the gospel begins to stretch our hearts? Uh, We're going to talk about it during the Vine this week. The Vine is a daily email that we send out Monday through Friday, um, as little devotionals. Uh, If you're not signed up for the Vine, I would encourage you to do that. Email the church office and say, sign me up for the Vine. In the Vine, uh, we send out devotionals that relate to the whole theme of sun, this, our Sunday service. And so we want you thinking about Sunday morning. We want you thinking about what you heard on Sunday morning. We want you thinking about that on Thursday afternoon. And so we send out these devotionals in the vine as kind of like a, a take-home theology or a take-home doctrine uh, to remind you of what you heard on Sunday. And so this week in the vine, we're going to send out some devotionals that help us, that will help us to foster this kind of gospel community here at Grace. So sign up for that if you haven't. But in short, here's what it looks like when the gospel begins stretching our hearts. The church becomes a place where you can experience the grace that is already yours in Christ. And you feel free and you feel comfortable confessing your sins and your struggles and confessing your fears instead of hiding them. And you begin to relate to others, not based on sin and failures and shortcomings, but based on what Jesus has done for all of us. And you find that there's time and space to grow as a disciple. Here's what 
gospel, gospel culture really feels like when it begins to take root and spread. You feel like church is a place where you can finally breathe. Where you can walk in and it's just like, oh, I feel free. I feel free in Christ. I am who you say I am. I don't care what that person thinks about me. I don't care what that person thinks about me. I am who you say I am. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can finally breathe and you can rest and you can stop pretending and you can stop hiding and you don't have to wear masks anymore, figurative masks or literal masks, okay? I'm surprised I didn't get an amen for that one. You don't have to wear masks anymore. (laughs) There we go. And you can come out into the light and you can walk in the light and experience the grace of God in community with other sinners. And when the gospel begins to stretch our hearts and the church starts to feel like, it starts to feel like Jesus has come to town. It starts to feel like Jesus has come to church. I mean, imagine, what would it be like if Jesus walked in here? Seriously, like right now, if he walked in here, do you think it would change the atmosphere? Don't you think we'd all be kind of like... I was going to go bite that guy, but I don't want to bite him now because there's my Savior. And, man, I want to love that guy because there's Jesus. I'm not going to bite anybody with Jesus in the room. Well, when you develop, when we foster that kind of gospel community, it's like Jesus comes to church. We kind of loosen up. And we begin to get real with the real Jesus. And then we start to repent more and confess more and apologize more. And we stop making excuses and blaming other people. Because that's easy to do, isn't it? Point the finger at everybody else and say, this is why my life is a mess. That person, that person, that person. And we start to look inward and be like, oh my goodness, it's me. It's, It's my heart. And then, this is the best part, we have more joy. We become free, no more hiding, no more masks, no more being fake. Just simply getting real with the real Jesus of the Bible, and then we start to enjoy God. Gospel doctrine creates stretchy hearts, and that's what we're striving for here. So as we close, let me ask you these. And I don't ask you these questions to condemn you, like Paul is saying here. I'm asking myself these questions as well. So don't take this as any form of shame or condemnation pressing on you. Just saying, Holy Spirit, you ask us these questions, okay? We could take that from the Holy Spirit, right? He's not here to condemn us this morning. But he's here to help us walk in the light, so... Think of the Holy Spirit asking you these questions this morning. Who in your life do you need to widen your heart to? Who have you closed your heart off to? Where do you have relationally restricted hearts? Where are you blaming other people for things? Where do you need the Holy Spirit? Now, of course, when we talk about expanding our hearts and widening our hearts to other people, please understand there are boundaries, okay? That's okay. I'm not saying that if someone conned you out of $10,000 that you have to go on summer vacation with them, okay? Or if someone abused you, I'm not saying that you have to allow them into your life. I'm not saying that at all. You have to forgive, and that will be hard, and the Spirit can help you. You have to forgive, 
But you don't have to be best friends with someone who has hurt you. You don't have to invite them back into your life. Depending on what may have happened, they may not deserve space in your life anymore. But we are called to forgive. And depending on the depth of the hurt and the depth of the sin, it may be very difficult to forgive someone. And Jesus understands that. You can call on his name and he will help you. But who in your life do you need to widen your heart to? Who have you closed off your heart to? Is your heart stretchy this morning? Where do you have a relationally restricted heart? Where in your life do you need the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday? And what do you need to repent of in regards to gossip, slandering, basing your thoughts and actions on hearsay, withholding your affections, backbiting? Let me remind you as you think of those questions that you have a merciful Savior. And so confess. Begin to walk in newness of light, life and come walk in the light and experience true freedom. Let the Apostle John help you stretch your heart this morning with these words. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stuff those words down into your heart today. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to stand in a moment and sing about waiting upon the Lord. Let me encourage you this morning as we sing to just open the empty hands of faith. and Say, Holy Spirit, I want to be receptive to you and what you're speaking to me in my heart this morning and what you may call me to do. And, and just hold your hands out this morning as we sing and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I desperately need you. And just cry out and say, help me, Holy Spirit. And he will. Listen, I, you parents out there, you want the best for your kids, don't you? You want the best things for your children. How much more does God want the best for us? He wants the best for us. And he's willing to help. He sent the helper on Pentecost. So let's stand and hold our hands open. Be receptive. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask you to inundate and saturate and liberate this church family with the gospel of your grace. Enlarge our capacity to not only see Jesus, but to adore him. If we don't see Jesus, 
We're only going to see one another and how we've offended each other and let each other down and that will never bode well for us. Father, if we are not gossiping the name of Jesus to one another, then we will gossip about one another. So may his name be the most heard, loved, and trusted in this church. May his presence convict us and humble us and transform us. Father, renew our love for one another because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So Holy Spirit, on Pentecost Sunday, we admit that we need you. And so we cry out, help, help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.